If you have your Bibles, would you open them with me to Luke chapter 9? We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Now, before the summer, we were diving into Luke's gospel. And we titled this sermon series in Luke, A Story for Sinners and Sufferers. Because if you're unfamiliar with Luke and his gospel, it's unique and it's, and it's special in that it, draw, it shows Jesus from the earth up, meaning it takes all of the raw and real elements of everyday life, the hardships, the difficulties, the sufferings that we go through, and it shows how Jesus seeks those who are sinning, seeks and saves those who are in sin, those who are suffering, and draws them up into the presence of God and lifts them up into a new identity in him. And it is a wonderful passage, wonderful book to be exploring. And today is really cool because we get to dive back into it in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 11, where we discover this call by Jesus to receive his power and authority and carry out his mission to our city and beyond. Luke chapter 9 is a super long chapter. Like, I don't know if you, don't look ahead because I want you to stay focused where you're at. I'm just gonna tell you, it's very long. It's very long and it's very dense. There's a lot of things that happen in chapter nine. In fact, in Luke's gospel, it's one of those hinge kind of chapters where the whole scene is about to change. Where Jesus was coming as the Messiah to seek and save the lost, and we see all that through chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 9, and then in chapter 9, something pretty dramatic happens. He starts sending his disciples out, and then at the very end, Jesus of chapter 9 turns his eyes to Jerusalem and then begins walking, and then you have the rest of the book moving into a different type of cadence and, and story, and it's pretty awesome. But this is a very long chapter, so we're spending um, a, a good number of weeks on it just so we can kind of take as much of it out as we can. But this morning, we're going to be looking at the very beginning where we see Jesus' mission, and we see his movement, and then we see his ministry all at play. So let's, let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to receive your word. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to worship and glorify your name together as a church. God, I pray that you would help us understand the passage at hand. I pray that you'd be with us and ministering to us as this passage can challenge our comforts. It can challenge our natural dispositions to solve our own problems. I pray, God, that we would be inspired by Jesus, that we would identify with the disciples, but that we would be worshiping you all of the way. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's, get, this, uh, let's get this started. I'm going to draw your attention first to verses 1 through 6, where we're going to kind of see as we jump in, we're going to see uh, the timid and totally unsure of themselves disciples kind of taking these new steps to follow the mission of Jesus. 
This is verse 1 through 6. It says, Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money. Don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. So we'll stop there. And I just want to give you a little bit of context to just from where we left off to seeing kind of what's happening now. So this moment is pretty surprising in, in the book as a whole, in the story in this moment as a whole, because what just came before it was Jesus having this kind of trifecta stories, this trifecta, that's, yeah, that's right. That's the right word I meant. Um, has these three moments of displaying his power over the natural world, over the supernatural world, and over sickness and death. Right in chapter 8, just before, we see Jesus taking his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee where a giant storm comes. And he's sleeping in the boat. It's, not, it's a passage that some of us are familiar with. And, he, and all of the disciples are losing their minds because they think they're going to die. And then Jesus stands up and he calms the storm and he brings it to it a perfect stillness, right? Displaying his power over the natural world. And in that moment, he asks them a the very telling question, one that I think resonates with us and should always resonate with us, which is this, where is your faith? That still, that still impacts me, just thinking about that question. Where is your faith? Then they end, they take that boat after having a much nicer boat ride. They end to the island where there's a, a demon-possessed man filled with over a thousand demons, right? So many so that when Jesus asks his name, the demons respond with legion, for we are many, right? And then in that moment, Jesus heals this man by casting out all of the demons, sending them into this herd of pigs where the pigs run off and they throw themselves into the cliffside, displaying his power over the supernatural. Jesus has the power over the natural. Jesus has power over supernatural. But then the disciples are following him into a town where they meet this crowd. And in this crowd... Um, a, a, a senior official of the synagogue comes in and he runs up, falls before Jesus' feet and says, though I am the this, this synagogue leader, I'm a man of full of security, of comfort, of order, all of these things that I have done, my daughter who's 12 is dying and I cannot save her. I need you, Jesus. And so the disciples are following Jesus as he's walking to go to this man's house to heal this daughter. And on the way, we see this fusion of two stories of faith collide where this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and has spent all of her money on all of these doctors and all of these treatments, nothing has worked. So in a moment of desperation, 
She sees Jesus and thinks to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, of his robe, then I know that I'll be made whole. I'll be healed. And she does so and is instantly healed. And the disciples see that Jesus has the power over sickness. Jesus really can heal diseases. And after this woman shows her display of faith to all of these people, they finally go to this 12-year-old girl where Jesus, in the company of people who are mourning this little girl's death and who do not believe that he can heal and, ta- and bring someone back from death, Jesus then shows them with his disciples that he has the power over death itself. And now we get here, where in this moment, after they've seen Jesus' power over the natural, over the supernatural, over uh, sickness, over death, then Jesus says, here, I'm giving you my power and authority to go do likewise. To which they probably would have responded, what? Right? They would have been totally taken off guard. How is it possible? I thought we were just supposed to roll with Jesus. I didn't know we would actually receive his power. Now, this kind of does something to them because this makes them a little bit prideful later on, right? Because they start being like, okay, we've got his power. So who's the most powerful, <laughs> right? Who's got, who's got like the, the real abilities? But here, they're all completely taken off guard. Power denotes a capacity to do, an energy to do something, to a force. An authority is that right to use it. Something really amazing. Now, each of us in our lives experience these momentary um, times of power. Each of us has little moments of power. Right now, my son, uh, Ezra, who's a six-month-old, he's going through that. Because it's, it's actually one of my favorite moments to be a dad because this is, he's experienced his newfound power by discovering his hands. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a baby discover their hands, but it's hilarious. All of a sudden, they're like, you know, and they're like staring at this hand, this thing that's attached to them. And now that he's starting to get hungrier, he realized, I have the power to use this hand to smash food and to smash and take my dad's food. And so he's like, I'm holding him while I'm eating, and he's just drooling, looking at my food. It's getting everywhere. And now it's even more complex because now he takes that food and he brings it towards him, right? So we're trying to figure that out. But I am happy for him. He has this new power. In the same way, our puppy that we had, for those who don't know me, yes, we did have a newborn, and then we did get a puppy. We've already talked about that, though, so I'm going to have to update you there. But our puppy just discovered his newfound power by being able to jump and actually get on top of the couch. So what was once a limitation for him, he now has this newfound capacity to jump on top of our couch and attack everyone. Before, it was much better, but now I'm dealing with that, (laughs) and i got to figure that out. Power and authority gives us a capacity 
but it also removes barriers and removes boundaries and limitations. And depending on its source, this can be used for good or for bad. Life provides fleeting moments and fleeting experiences of power. And when an imperfect people use power and authority on their own, there can be, depending on its source, miraculous things that happen or dangerous things that happen. But Jesus giving power and authority is all the difference. The disciples knew that their power came from Jesus himself so that they would recognize that God gave them this and it's an important thing for them to follow Jesus in all of it. Now, yes, in, in a little while, pride is going to creep up, but in this moment, what we can learn from this is that power and authority when it comes from Jesus is all of the difference. When Jesus gives his power and authority through the Holy Spirit, we must always be leaning on Jesus to be the meaning and message of our mission. To be sent out means that everything has to be about him. And looking at it that way, we get to, let's zoom in again on what Jesus says here. When he says, take nothing for the road, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, don't take an extra shirt. So basically, I'm giving you this, this power. I'm bestowing this power on you, this authority for you to be able to use it. But this mission is going to challenge your natural disposition to solve your own problems. This is going to challenge your natural disposition to solve your own problems. When you get tired, what do you do? You lean on your staff. When you get hungry, what do you do? You go get something to eat. You bring the food that you brought. When you need something, you buy it. When you smell bad, what do you do? Hopefully, you take a shower or you change your clothes. In this instant, Jesus is removing all of their comfort and all of their security to draw them into a greater purpose and a greater dependence with this power and this authority comes now a total dependence on Jesus. And this is interesting because in other passages, Jesus has sent them out and he's told them, bring a staff. In Matthew's gospel, he says this. It's actually the opposite. It's actually super confusing because I thought it was the same story up until like, you know, Monday. I'm reading this and I'm like, wait a minute. What's going on here? Because in Matthew, the disciples, he says, he, he sends them out two by two, right? And he says in it, bring a staff, bring some money, definitely bring an extra shirt, you know, go out and then do these things. And now when I read this one, I'm like, wait a minute, these are two opposite, now he's, there's no staff, now there's no things. Oh, these aren't the same stories, these are different lessons. 
Jesus is preparing his disciples in this gospel to have a complete and total reliance on himself so that when they go out and when he sends 72 disciples out, these disciples will be able to teach and to maintain that example of total dependence on Jesus. It's pretty cool. But when we look at it, what we can see in the comparisons is that we want to be important that in this instance, Jesus wanted to remove the comfort and security. But we need to be careful not to generalize this moment as the universal standard of how Jesus has us depend on him. Because our instances can always kind of change, right? It isn't necessarily about being sent on mission and the general principle is I can never have any money. I can pack an extra shirt, right? It's that whatever mission Jesus sends me on, I want to be completely and totally dependent on him and receive those comforts as a gift, not as something that I have earned and I control for myself. You see, these trips, we get to see these differences and it helps us understand what the disciples were doing. We begin to see that forfeiting comforts and security for the sake of the gospel draws us into a deeper dependency on Jesus. But to recognize that those comforts are a gift, that security is a gift from God in his grace, we begin to understand that as we as God's people move into the city and move beyond, we too are seeking to save the lost for the sake of God's glory. Jesus gave up everything to go after the one lost sheep. Amen? And he teaches us to do the same. So in this instance, he's saying don't take a staff with you, don't take money with you, don't take anything. Be uncomfortable so that you can be dependent. And when those comforts come, know that they're a gift. Know that I love you in them. Know that I'm taking care of you. Matthew 10, Jesus tells his disciples to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, proclaim, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. And listen to this part. Freely you received, freely give. I remember the first time that Jesus was teaching me in my faith what it means to give up comforts to, to experience a dependency on him and, kind of, and get deeper into my faith. And it, and it kind of, I don't know if it was me being sinfully stubborn or something, but it all seemed to kind of like connect in one day that was filled with kind of a lot of embarrassing moments. And I will happily tell them to you now because I'm, you know, that's what I need to do. Uh, it was when I was in Cambodia, which you guys, some of you guys know that I was in there uh, for, I was doing mission work over there, 
But this particular day, I was, I was in a really bad mood. I was having a bad day. Hadn't showered in a while. You know, that's where it, everything starts. <laughs> As like, I was feeling dirty, feeling hot. Our team was all kind of cranky with each other. I had a big stomach ache from eating weird stuff that my body wasn't used to. And it was just one of those moments where I was having this, um, I was on like this emotional cusp of not really wanting to be there and also, also not, not wanting to be there, right? The, my internal motives were feeling kind of pulled and my physical ailments and difficulties weren't really helping the situation, right? I was just uncomfortable. But this day, I smelled way too bad. And like, my friend noticed, but he smelled really bad too. So it was like, okay, what are we gonna do? Well, let's just start with what we can do. Let's take some matters into our own hands here. We didn't say that, but we thought it because we looked around and we were like, okay, there's no showers, there's nothing, but there is a, an outdoor kitchen. And the place that we were staying was an orphanage and the big kitchen space was kind of this outdoor section, but the family that lived and operated the orphanage was, was all there. And so they were eating and there was, for some reason we thought, we are going to get in our swimsuits and bathe near where they're eating because that's where the water source is. As I say it out loud, I realize how this could have been different. But this whole experience of filling up buckets of water and then dumping them on each other while this family ate <laughs> and just watched us was quite an experience. And afterwards, we were like, you know what? That was, that was a little weird, but I'm really glad that we, you know, we feel better. You know, I'm more comfortable now. And then our translator finally came to us and he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm so glad that you guys were, you know, feel better, but did, well, how come you didn't use the showers? They're just right around the corner from where you just bathed. And so now I'm embarrassed, right? To make matters worth, worse. But then that night, I have this terrible stomach ache, and I need to go down, and, I, and outside is the outhouses. I'm not going to get any, any details. But I'm in there, and then I start hearing noises in the outhouse. And I look up, and there's an array of bats joining me in that moment. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable, <laughs> to say the least. Bats, embarrassment, uncomfortable not really wanting to be there, emotional tension, feeling just bad. And I began to think to myself, why am I here in the first place? Why am I so uncomfortable? And then I suddenly realized that maybe the point of all of this is not to finish some ministry moment but maybe the lesson is being found right then and now. A collision of lessons all coming at me at once in moments when I was completely out of my element, I had no control over anything, and if I did have anything, I was using it the wrong way, so that God would teach me 
that being a disciple sent by him on his mission always must accompany a total dependence on him at the same time. Following Jesus means giving up comforts and security. He may provide them, but sometimes he may not. But his presence is always enough. Is that right, church? Amen? Eventually, Jesus will call all of his disciples, will call you to be bold in a new way. All of our contexts look different. All of our stories are different. But Jesus is calling each of us to a, a particular boldness so that we can maintain a dependency on him. And he equips us for it in the process as long as he remains our meaning and our message. I love what 1 Corinthians says, where Paul says, brothers and, sister, and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing to bring from nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption in order that, as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This posture of the church is a dramatic difference. When God's people are following Jesus and sacrificing everything in the process, proclaiming Christ alone, people will take notice. And that's exactly what happens in verses 7 through 9. Why don't you follow with me? Let me draw your attention there. So we see how others responded to the movement of Jesus. Verse 7, Herod, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about everything that was going on. He was perplexed because some said that John had been raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, and others that, the, that one of the ancient prophets had risen. Herod said, verse 9, I beheaded John, but who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to meet him. So I think this verse is here to give us a lot of comfort. Herod beheaded John. Using his governmental control, he thought that he ended this Messiah movement, right? But he didn't do anything to stop it. If anything, as he looked back and he looked around at what was happening, it was all the more powerful. All the more powerful. There are empires, there are governments, and there are groups everywhere in our world now that think that they can end the Christian faith. Whether it be through oppressing people or whether it be through trying to teach counter 
ideologies, all sorts of stuff. There is a confidence in the world that it can smother out the Christian faith. But history is going against them. Because where the church is, there is faithfulness and perseverance. Think about the efforts in China right now. China's government to severely oppress the Christians, and yet China has the largest growing number of Christians in the entire world. Following passages like this, we get to see what Jesus is doing in this process of discipleship, which is to show that his mission and his movement that he is sending through the world evokes a curiosity and contempt. And our comfort, when it's placed in Jesus, is for Jesus to, to keep Jesus responsible for the outcome. Right? He commands us not to create the outcome. He commands us to be faithful in the process and to see his faithfulness and to see his love for the world at work. Faithfulness in impossible circumstances evokes curiosity it has people wonder it has people second guess what comforts and dispositions they have when faithfulness is on display and perseverance in oppressive circumstances evokes contempt people don't like it especially those who are against Jesus but Jesus is faithful. Jesus persevered, and he gives us that power and authority to persevere through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when we think that all of the odds are against us, when you believe that all the odds are against you, and it seems like life is becoming too difficult, be faithful. Persevere to the end. Finish the race. The movement of Jesus. When you're living that out. Will bring and evoke a curiosity. And maybe even a contempt. But the outcome is Jesus's. It's our task to be faithful and to follow. And that creates a boldness within us. It should create a boldness within us. And a comfort to know that Jesus is the one moving us and giving us the authority and the power to do so. And because our efforts to follow Jesus are met with a Savior who knows and who understands and who sympathizes with us, all of our discomfort, all of our pain, and all of our difficulty are met with ministry, with Jesus ministering to us. So when we look at and we see that all of these disciples, they were going out, and then we see this extra side movement of Herod and his thoughts, let me draw your attention back to verses 10 through 11. See the ministry of Jesus and his response as the disciples return. It says, when the apostles returned, pause there for a second, notice the title change. They were disciples, and now Luke is calling them apostles. Kind of cool, right? 
they reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out, they followed him and he welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and healed those who needed healing. So Mark's gospel elaborates a little bit on, on what Jesus was doing with them. When they came back and they joined him, and Jesus took them to a remote place, it says, Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. Come and rest. In other words, be ministered to. Rest and be in my presence. When you are tired from the mission that God has placed you in, remember that Jesus sees you and is teaching you and is calling you to find rest in him. And that is the most satisfying rest because it doesn't only give us a physical rest, it gives us a spiritual rest. It lifts the burdens that we carry with us each day. Jesus is effective to heal our wounds from the road. And he is enough to bring a consoling power to us in all of our challenges so that when we go out, we are renewed and we are refreshed and rejuvenated in our spirit. And I love that because it shows to me that in my moments of, of hardship, when it feels like there are, I'm, I'm struggling with worship wounds, meaning I'm struggling to identify where Jesus is at in my life. What is he doing? He calls me to be sent, and I'm going, but I feel like I have nothing with me. Or I feel like I'm, I'm in a, a place of having that emotional tension or that spiritual tension of Jesus has called me out, but I don't know where he's taking me. And he's telling me to be faithful. The comforting part of that is to see Jesus' ministry at play, to say... Yes, it is going to be hard. Yes, I'm calling you to be fully dependent on me so that I can provide for you and I can give you the rest that you so desperately need. Anytime you feel overwhelmed in your mission that Jesus has called you on, that he's called you to embark on, don't forget to come before him to rest. Be ministered to. Paul says again in, in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, when I, in his mission, as he's going out and he's talking to the church, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So, pause. No strategies, no, no extra dependence, no natural dispositions, my personal giftings, nothing. I'm going out and I'm preaching Christ crucified. I came to you in weakness in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not were with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul helps us see 
how Jesus can use us well when we have our complete dependency on him. That's the faith that we want. That's the perseverance that he guarantees. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, friends, our Savior who died for us and rose again so that we might be saved, he will continue to equip us and send us out in power to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he's going to use Christians upon Christians to go and do likewise until he comes back. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray.